Case 46 is step beyond the 100-foot pole. Venerable Shishuang said, how to take a step beyond the 100-foot pole. Another ancient worthy said, although the person sitting on top of the 100-foot pole has found an entry into the practice, it is still not real. At the top of the 100-foot pole, you must step forward and expose the full body of reality throughout the world in, ten, in the 10 directions. Uma's comment. If you are able to take a step forward, then you will be able to flip your body around and see that there is no place that is unholy. Even though it is like this, still, how to take a step beyond the 100 foot pole, eh? Blinding the eyes on your forehead, mistaking the markers on the scale, throwing away your body and relinquishing this life, such as the blind man blinding a crowd. So now we'll discuss. One thing that really surprised me about, I've known about this koan for many years, but one thing that really surprised me was that I always imagined you could look down and see what was below. And then I realized a few weeks ago that it's like a cloud and you can't see what's below. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Why can't you see what's below? Um, and I'm curious about whether woman is that all these things that he's saying are not really what it's what it's about. Blinding the eyes on your forehead. It, it's not like you know when you first jump off a high dive board, you might close your eyes or something, hold your nose. It's not like that, is it? How, how come you can't see anything? Oh, I'm oh. sorry, I can't hear. Okay. Can, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, thank you. How, how come you can't see anything below when you're on top of the 100-foot pole? Because when you take a real chance, it's not a chance if you know what's going to happen. Okay, I'm, you've lost me. Oh, couldn't you, couldn't you see the ground and still not really know what was going to happen? Sure, sure. But it, yeah, like, are you really taking a big chance if you know the result? If you're 100 feet in the air, I mean. Well, but, but <laughs> if it's a sure death, then that's not taking a big chance. I guess I always felt like that 100 foot pole was like, maybe you don't see the bottom, maybe you do. But it's just like this huge, um, like a leap of faith, a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. And that, but I, I never really thought, I mean, it makes sense you don't see the ground. The groundless, it's like that, what's that Chogum Trumper Rinpoche quote that it's like he's like, the um, bad news is you're falling, the good news is you never hit the ground <laughs> with the groundlessness. Anyway, I don't know. It's um... I, I thought of it when you mentioned that too, like the leap of faith. I thought of it like the uh, that old um, Indiana Jones movie, you know, where he's trying to get to the the 
something, the cup or something. And as he takes a step, the stone appears, but it doesn't appear until he takes the step. He has to take the step first. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of thought it was like, for me, it felt like that it's great if your practice has reached that point to where you're sitting so aloof and so, you know, above everything, then you know all these answers or you think you do, but it's not really practice if you're not living it. Mm. And for me, that, that's what it meant when you had to take that step off the hundred foot pole. Mm. What do you think, Cody? You've probably taken this step in various times, haven't you? Uh, yeah. I I kind of uh, was on the same track as uh, Stephanie, but I kind of worded it different. It, I basically, you know, just said uh, take risk, take your own risks, and uh, in your own path, not anyone else's. So. You know, basically, when you said earlier, uh, if you already know what the outcome is, then it's not really a risk. I mean, Nancy? Not really... Oh, sorry. Go on, go on. Say the last oh, no, thing. I... No, I say uh, you're not really taking a risk if you already know what the outcome is. Nancy, what about you? I don't know what I think is cup like um, when you see the meditation and you reach a certain place where like you really calm and like that you really still like your mind not um, go anywhere like it's completely like at the point that I forgot the word that they use for it but it's not where we uh, I mean like if you just stay in that place you will not get anything. You you don't really understand yourself or the world around unless you like move beyond that or actually like, step out of that stage. I think woman's comment was something about that. Um, No, maybe it wasn't woman's comment. Maybe it was. Well, I, I really liked what woman said about then you will be able to flip your body around and see that there is no place that is unholy. And I think that's the part that was driving my thoughts about it. That if I think this spot is where it's at, then I'm missing the whole point. And if I can get a different perspective, I can see that every spot is where it's at. And we saw this kind of abandon with the Olympic divers, didn't we? This bravery that they have where they completely disorient themselves, mm -hmm. it seems. Yeah. And are rotating and flipping and flying. Mm -hmm. I put stepping off means to have no idea what is below, but it isn't suicide. It isn't getting wasted. It is brave. Yes, really brave, but not risking one's life. But maybe it is. I don't know. I think that's that analogy about um, 
you know, does he say, um, uh, yeah, throwing away your body and relinquishing this life. I think in a way it is giving up your habitual thinking. The core beliefs. Life is, yeah, your core beliefs. What do you think about such as a blind man blinding a crowd? I didn't get that. Okay, should we read Gugu? Sure. Okay, so it's it's Cody and Anne have read, so it's Kim. Chan's practice is for fools, yet. Yes, everyone has the book, right? Okay. Yes. Yes, fools who are willing to give up everything just to realize that they're human beings. Ordinary people are way too smart to practice. So smart that they give rise to vexations to afflict themselves and others. They're constantly trying to be everything else except humans. Some live as animals, others live as demons. Still others live like gods. All of these life forms have something in common, insatiable desire. When people are born with black eyes, they want to make them blue. When they are born to have small breasts, they want to make them bigger. When they have thoughts, they want to stop thinking. When they're full, they want to eat more. <laughs> when they already have a spouse, they want to cheat and have a fling on the side. It is for these reasons that people should engage in John practice to stop this nonsense and realize just who they are, humans. The habit of the mind is in such a desire. I'm not talking about everyday needs, but desire does them from self referentiality. These fixations must stop in order to realize the most important task of being a human, to live fully as a human. Isn't your deepest wish to live life fully, wake fully, at peace? It is just that most go about getting this the wrong way. The point is not to chase after it, but to stop chasing and just see. Unfortunately, this takes practice. Reading books won't help. Listening to Dharma talks may help to inspire you. It all depends on you. You have to take a step forward and forward and forward. The analogy in this case is to climb, to climb the 100 foot pole. When you get to the top, take another step forward. Will you die then? No, you will truly come to life. When delusions arise, when there are emotional afflictions, ups and downs, when everything seems to go wrong, it is very important to bring yourself back on track. Continue to take a step forward. Continue to climb. Keep your practice going. Don't give up or get entangled by anything. Even though all of your life you've been taught to grasp after this and chase after that, no one has pointed out just who is grasping, who is chasing. The one who gets entangled is the very source of the problem. 
keep your practice despite everything and you will reach a point where there are no more problems. Is that the end of the path? No. <clears throat> In the process of practice, meeting the vicissitudes of life, you learn to face them, embrace them, respond to them, and then let go of them. Chan practice is a fourfold process. You cannot let go of anything if you don't face it, if you don't know what it is. All of your habit tendencies, all of your emotional ups and downs, all the narratives or limitations that you tell yourself, I'm this, I'm that, I want this, I want that, I should have this, I should have that, I need this, and I really don't need that. Do not conceal the fact that from moment to moment, you are free. The limits that you cast on yourself are like the walls in a room. You create the divisions of separateness, compartmentalizing spaces of this room and that room. You have drawn boundaries to distinguish friend from foe, good from bad, and so on. These are useful managing and organizing life. They are your views. There are not real things out there. Everything in life is carved out, reified, and separated by walls. In case you forget, society will tell you where the walls are, what is good, what is bad, who's a hero, who's a terrorist, and so on. Creating boundaries is a form of control. Controlling what really cannot be controlled. All kinds of problems arise from this. Haven't you observed this? Haven't you seen nations go to, go to war vying for boundaries? That is not to say good and bad are unnecessary, that civil law is not needed. There would be chaos without it. So that is not my point. The point is, what was there before that within your own being? And I do not mean going back, back to being a baby, an infant. Many people, when they first read Zen, are told that babies have the purest mind, that infants have the Zen mind naturally. No, babies are pretty dumb. Their attention span is pretty short. Is that what you are striving for in practice? In Chan or Zen, is Chan or Zen supposed to revert to an infantile mind? No, practitioners should not search for a true self somewhere <coughs> in time before all the clutter, separation, compartment mentalization, discrimination took place. I'm not talking about a regression. That's interesting. I haven't heard anyone quite say that. Yeah, the first time I heard that too. You know, when you talk about the original mind or the original self, so then what is that if it's not what you were once? Well, I have a Oh, go ahead, Stephanie. I have a question about the end of the paragraph before that, where he says, Let's go back. Okay. All the narratives are limitations that you tell yourself. I should have this, I should have that, I need this, I really don't need that. Do not conceal the fact that from moment to moment you are free. My first response when Anne read that was, Yes, they do conceal that fact. That's exactly what they do. They cloud my mind and I don't 
realize that I'm actually free. So I don't understand what he's trying to say there. Any help from someone? Maybe if you have insight into that, even though you're still caught up in it, you'd know on some level that you're free. Hmm. Yeah. That, yeah, I, I agree with that. We think we, um, you know, like people say, do I really need to do that? And the alternative often is that you can take the consequences of not doing it. So there's nothing, I mean, to me, there's nothing really that you need to do, even take another breath. That's all a choice you can make. Okay, who's next? It's me. No, I'm I talking about an imagined future. If only the clutter, um, the clutter separation, compartmentalization, discrimination were left behind. There are people who engage in practice so they can be free from the troubles of life. A student recently emailed me and said that the rest of the world was turbulent and vexing and that he hoped to get away from it for an extended period of time so practice could allow him to make some headway. Noble aspiration, many feel that way. However, it's also the wrong way to go about it. The stories about what practice will do for you in the future actually solidify two things, a sense of life in the present and a alienation from an impossible future. Life has no fixed narratives. Life is free. All the opportunities it presents are, presents you are your path. Practice is about realizing that in this very moment, there is freedom. You can't will yourself to be free. It has nothing to do with willpower. You can't intellectualize yourself into it. Freedom is not what you know. Although practice is necessary, it doesn't produce enlightenment, which is not a matter of cause and effect. Practice doesn't produce or lead to awakening. If it were something like that, then whatever was gained could be lost. Whatever is realized is dependently conditioned. When before and after suddenly vanish and the present is also gone, this is awakening. Um, the present case is simple. Engage in practice, climb the pole, and continue until you reach the top. Once there, take a step forward and continue further. The case involves Shui Shuang, Shi Shuang, uh, Chu Chu Yan, probably butchering that. Anyway, nine eighty six to ten thirty nine, the sixth lineage master from Linji. It's Linji, Z Wan. He is a disciple of Finyang Shanzo Shanzo Shanzo, nine forty six to ten twenty three. 
There is much to learn from his life in practice. Jishuang became a monk in his early 20s in order to seek the Dharma. Although he practiced very hard, his teacher, Feng Yang, always scolded him, yelling at him every time they met. Most people would feel totally humiliated and would leave if they had to study with someone like that. Imagine you're coming to the Tallahassee China Center, and from day one, every time I saw you, I scolded you. Why the hell are you here? You are, you are an embarrassment to China. Know that Fan Yang was actually giving something very precious to Shishuan, instilling, him, instilling in him the great sense of questioning, the great sense of not knowing. He ignited in him the great doubt, which is the great sense of wonderment and not knowing the answer to the core question, who am I? In this case, this question took the form of right and wrong. Who is that? Who is, who is it that is right and wrong? Why is this going to you? Who is me? Shuan stuck around and practiced with Fen Yang, but he remained in great internal turmoil for two years. Eventually, he broke down and cried. Chi Swan couldn't understand. Why am I being scolded every day? What did I do wrong? Did I show disrespect? What is wrong? What is right? Right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong. He questioned himself until he simply went to his teacher, Fen Yang, and said in tears, I left the household life to practice <coughs> with you, and it seems I've gotten nowhere. All you do is scold me. What is my mistake? Am I worthy? Fen Yang gave him one more push and said, all this time I've been training you. How could you betray me? This means all of this time I've been giving you the sustenance of Dharma, the best there is. As Sri Chong was about to reply, Feng Yang placed his palm over Shi Chong's mouth. At this, Shi Chong's doubt shattered. He realized <coughs> a great awakening. How to take a step beyond the 100-foot pole? Another ancient worthy said, although the person sitting on top of the 100-foot pole has found an entry into the practice, it is still not real. At the top of the 100-foot pole, you must step forward and expose the full body of realization, of reality throughout the world in the 10 directions. How to take a step beyond the 100-foot pole? Shi Xuan had been clapping the pole for two years, eating up his teacher's substance, bearing the struggle over right and wrong, asking what's my mistake. He has reached the limits of duality and gotten himself to trust for a unified not knowing. All of his attachments to dualities collapsed into this single question. Even in such ones, he still tried to push forward the drum of words and language. So his teacher just shut his mouth, a nice push off the hundred foot pole. Out of respect for his teacher and also to mature his awakening, Shi Shuang remained in the monastery for 12 more years until Fin Yang died. Then he started to travel around visiting various Chan masters. 
He reluctantly accepted the abbotship of a monastery, but after only three years, he relinquished his position and went on the road again. He visited other Chan masters to sharpen his ability to help and save people. At one point, he went to see his uncle in Dharma, Chan Master Shinding Hong Yin, a highly regarded Chan Master at that time. Um, Shi Shuang appeared at Shinding's monastery, all scruffy and dusty, bearded and hairy, dressed in a raggedy robe. Shinding's acolyte took a look at Shishuang and asked, What do you want? I came to see Master Shinding. The acolyte cast a disdainful eye and said, You? What's your name? Chu Yan. This was his name before he became known as Shishuang. Although Master Shinding was a great Chan master, few people visited him because his monastery was known to be very strict and in such poor condition. Most Chan practitioners never considered setting foot in that place. The acolyte reported this to Shinding and then returned to ask Shishuang Wang Wang. Uh, my master wants to know who your teacher is. When the acolyte told Master Shinding that the monk's teacher was Finyang Shanzhao, Shinding immediately got up took his cane and went out to meet Shishuang. Shinding's disciples all went with their master. After all, no one visited this monastery. This person must be a somebody. Shinding saw Shishuang unkempt and practically in rags and said somewhat sarcastically, I didn't know Finyang had someone like you around. Shishuang did not reply. Shinding continued, what did you learn from Finyang? Suddenly, Shishuang looked back and shouted, The building is collapsing. The building is collapsing. They got everyone up in a frenzy. They all knew that the monastery was in bad shape, so they all ran out of the hall to check out of the building. All went except Shinding, but even he began to look around and ask, Which building? Everyone had fallen for Shishuang's trick. He had stirred up waves where there were none. He put up a pole where there was no need for one. As soon as he triggered the false alarm, all the monks fled in panic. Shi Xuang just sat down and looked up at the abbot. He nonchalantly removed one shoe and placed it to the side. The abbot Did I skip a page? No. The abbot, this famous Shending, having forgotten the question he had previously asked, was now wondering which building was collapsing. Shi Strong stood up, dusted off his ragged, raggedy shirt, replaced his shoe, turned around, and started to walk out, muttering to himself, seeing him is definitely not better than simply hearing of his fame. What he meant was, Shending, you are famous from a distance, but when it comes to meeting you face to face, you're no big deal. And he walked away. Shending heard his words and perhaps still scratching his head, wondered what had just happened. 
then this accord how to spell that? how to pronounce that acolyte acolyte thank you when his acolyte came back to the home shending sent him to fight shishuang but he could not be found shending was renowned later he proclaimed publicly publicly i met my dad my brother's student i did not know he had such a great student an undefeated fellow because of his coming, Shi Xuan became so famous that many flocked to his monastery later to study with him. He settled on Shi Xuan Mountain, which became his toponym and became the progenitor of the two main lines of the Northern Song Dynasty, Lin Ji School, the line of Yan Yi Banghui, and the line of Wolong Wunan. In this case, the ancient worthy refers to Changsha Jingsen, the Dharma brother of Zhao Zhou. Changsha adds that at the top of the hundred foot pole, you must step forward and expose the full body of reality throughout the worlds in the 10 directions. This means that one must fully let go die the great death in order to live the great life. Shi Shuang fully lived this life. He actualized what Changsha meant by dying the great death. In his life, we see that he was unwilling to stop practice. He continued his training after awakening. Even when he was already an abbot of a monastery, he was willing to abdicate that position to get back on the road to visit other teachers. Nowadays, people are in a hurry to become Zen teachers. Uh, climbing up a hundred foot pole is a Chan expression that dates back to Changsha. It was an answer to a monk who inquired about genuine practice and realization. As the monk didn't didn't understand this reply, he asked for clarification. And Changsha said, Lang Mountain, Li River. The questioning monk knew both places well since they are located in the Hunan province. Changsha is the name of a mountain. An analogy would be someone living in New York City asking what New York City is like. The best reply would be, Empire State Building Statue of Liberty. Practice is necessary and must be genuine. In this process, delusion must be relinquished. This means that when you get to the top of the pole, you have to jump off. When this is done, you become perfectly normal and ordinary. You realize that all along you've been human. To be fully human is to be a Buddha, someone who is selfless. Is this the end? No. It is the beginning of fulfillment of wisdom, of deep fulfillment of wisdom and of compassion. I like the idea that stepping off the hundred foot pole is not the end. Kind of like the beginning, like a step. 
You know, it's hard to think two steps ahead, isn't it? Like you, that's as far as you can think, I'm going to step off the 100 foot pole and see what happens. You don't think it, you know, and then I'm going to climb back up and then I'm, or whatever. Okay, I guess it's my turn. Chan and Zen teachers are not advocating that people commit suicide by jumping off the, I hate, I shouldn't be laughing, by jumping off the top of the pole. It is only a metaphor, but it points to the mindset of one who is able to do this. Without this mindset, this commitment to the path, you will just be a pole dancer. You may be able to do all kinds of fancy moves on the pole, going up and down, down and up, but none of that is awakening. That is essentially what some practitioners are doing. You must have the courage to relinquish what you cherish the most, the I. <coughs> Here are some examples of pole dancers. One time during an intense meditation retreat, a man requested an interview and said, I can't go on anymore. Why, I asked. He answered, I've been practicing very well, but I'm afraid if I get in touch and like my girlfriend won't recognize me anymore. Many people resist letting go. They love practice, but practice for them is a type of time hobby to adore themselves with the idea that they're spiritual. Some practice very hard for a little while and then want to save some energy for later. They practice with a mindset for the future. They make great effort in the morning, but then think, maybe I should eat a little more at lunchtime and reserve my energy for the afternoon. After these people have climbed up the 100 foot pole a little and allow themselves to slide back down, up and down, up and down, they have gotten nowhere. Another Julie, this part is... <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, nothing. <laughs> uh, what the... Uh, the student said exactly what I thought before. It's like when I try to practice um, uh, Zazen before. It's <laughs> when I can calm my mind a little bit. Oh my God, my goodness, do I become someone like someone <laughs> else that no one can recognize me? <laughs> no, you'll just be Nancy. Another kind of practitioner attaches to samadhi experiences. Every time the person sits, he or she becomes like a rock, sitting through several periods without getting up. <laughs> Not me. I recently saw a documentary about a yogi in India who was able to sit for 10 days straight without eating or defecating. He claimed that his samadhi power allowed him to transcend all desires. People flock to him because of his extraordinary powers, and he bestows blessings on them. For <laughs> Some people cannot meditate this long, but on retreats, they want to sit as long as they can. They force themselves to sit through several periods in the full lotus posture until they start to shake back and forth, eventually screaming out, screaming pain. Most Chan and Zen practitioners just seek awakening experiences. 
to let others know they're already awakened, they put on airs and walk around behaving in a strange way. These are all the silly things that people do to perpetuate their self-attachment. At the top of the 100-foot pole, you must step forward. Means putting down all the games and tricks you can do on the pole. In terms of meditation practice, it means reaching a point where there is no longer past or future, only the present. Only concentrating on the method, becoming one with the method. At this stage, you have forgotten about yourself. Duality is transcend is transcended. Is that enough? No. Many practitioners, teachers included, make a big deal about non-duality. People in sports have this experience where, say, they're one with the basketball or one with the act of running, accomplishing that is not hard, not so hard. Don't stop there. You have to take one more step forward. Put down the ones. I think so. This has really changed my view about the hundred foot pole in the sense that I thought that's like all I had to do. Yeah, I really like that idea that that uh, it's not. No, oh, I guess it's my turn. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Don't be a pole dancer. Get up that pole and take one more step. Whatever you cannot let go of is your obstruction. What, whenever you cannot let go of something, it means a self-attachment is there. Even if you let go of everything, let go of that too. If you do this, you will be able to expose a full body of reality <laughs> throughout the world of, in the 10 directions. Which means that just as you are as a human through and through is reality. Selfless, free, this is to manifest wisdom and compassion fully. You've come full circle. You discover that you didn't die after taking that forward step. On the contrary, the whole world has come alive and you have truly come alive for the first time as a human. You will be able to flip your body around and see that there is no place that is unholy. Coming and going, turning and being still, there's not a single thing that buys you. Everywhere you go, you are free. Every place is a place for practice, and everyone is a Buddha. A Buddha sees everyone as a Buddha. An awakened person doesn't feel like he or she is special. There's no holy or unholy. It's just that some Buddhas don't feel their Buddhas. So an awakened person will have them. In helping, the awakened person doesn't feel like he or she is really having or doing something extraordinary. Judgments and notions about what awakening is, that illusion is. What, relu what illusion is? What is good? What is bad? What is profane? What is holy? What is bondage? What is freedom? All are just products of the eye. The pole is your path. In the beginning, you can't have one foot wrapped around one pole and the other foot on another. You've got to choose one pole to climb. Don't change your mind halfway or change poles. 
In the beginning, you should shop around for a suitable pole. Your teacher may guide you to find it. Once you find the pole, start climbing until you exhaust it fully. All of your endeavors and efforts in practice will become unified, including all aspects of your daily life. The difficulties, the challenging situations that you find yourself in, the annoying people in your life, until you reach a point when you see your true nature. The pole exists because there is a self. You may have gained some insights along your climb, but please put them down and keep climbing. These insights will make you feel you've gotten somewhere or attained awakening. Self-attachment is still there. Even though it is, it is like this, still, how to take a step beyond the 100-foot pole, okay? Don't think that there is a definite pole or that you haven't found that, that right pole for yourself yet. That's just another delusion. Only by climbing, it will let you know if the pole is right for you. Just practice. The word A is important there. Here. In Chinese, it is Sha. And it has a connotation of negation, as in what? Or what in the world? Wuman here is negating the step beyond the 100-foot pole. Why? Because you are originally free. You are originally a human. Just be one. Be free without deluded thinking and attachments of this and that. Originally, there are no vexations, so stop creating them. Since people cannot realize this, there is a need to get on the pole and let go of everything. Blinding eyes on your forehead. Mistaking the markers on the scale. Throwing away your body and relinquishing this life, such as the blind man blinding the crowd. In stepping off the pole, you will fully realize the stillness, silliness of the of this pole. You will realize your humanness and that the wondrous compassion of all the Buddhists <coughs> and all the lineage masters is to blind people. Practice is for fools. What does that mean? It means it's useless. Why is it useless? The polar path is just an expedient where you're relinquishing delusion. It's yours. The way you climb. No, he talks a lot about climbing the pole, which I really never thought about, as opposed to jumping off. And um, I guess that's the first job, is climbing the pole. The way you climb actually creates the next section of that pole. In other words, you create that pole by the way you climb it. All the vexations and challenges you face are yours. Is there really a path left on the lake when ducks swim across it? They, they leave no trace behind, it's just water. Is there a trace in the sky when birds fly across it? Buddha Dharma is only like a crutch to help you. Unless you climb the pole, you will not truly appreciate your freedom. Freedom original awakening Buddhahood will just be concept. Not too useful in your life. Climbing the pole is helpful, but don't get stuck on the pole 
and keep going up and down it. Don't be a pole dancer, be a climber. Climb to the top and jump off. Well, this is one of my favorite ones. Sounds really yeah, me encouraging. Too. I like this. Now I have to figure out what pole I'm going to climb. Just can't figure that out, Kim. <laughs> if I figure it out, what you want to know? Seems like maybe it's something to do with Zen. Oh. <laughs> Just start climbing, Kim. Um, I kind of is the pole kind of like pointing at the moon. You know, they talk about that with the like all the teachings and all that. It's just pointing at the moon. It's not really the real. Um, realization or experience right and maybe the poles like that too it's like you think the poles what it's all about let me climb up it and do this dance on it and and then i know all about the pole and but it's just then i'll be enlightened and, then I'll be enlightened. and i'll be what did he talk about that one point like you think you're really special and you think <laughs> you think when you graduate you know high school or college or you know, any of the things we do that that will be that will be it. And then right. you realize you're just kind of starting all over. Or do right. a Bukai ceremony. Uh-huh. Right. Surely that analogy is really helpful. So you know how in Saturday Night Live they had that skit about the church ladies? I don't know that. You don't know that one? I forgot no. more about it. Oh, I was just going to say, I could be a pole lady. <laughs> <laughs> there were, uh, we had all our gutters taken down because we're getting new roof and new gutter. And um, for a few weeks, all the gutters were in the backyard. And I kind of thought about making a huge, uh, seeing how tall of a structure I could make with the gutters. Do a hundred feet. I don't think that it would be climbable though. So Kim, what's our, our special surprise for tonight? Oh, it was what I read you. Oh, <laughs> that was pretty cool. So I'm. I, it's if you go to uh, Wednesday night koan practice, I put it in the description so you can always right. find it. Right. And um, but it was from the woman, the women in Zen book we're reading. So I sent out a thing about the the book that Peg Peg suggested next. So why why didn't Peg think we should do Joko's book? She didn't explain. 
Huh. Wait, but, I thought but, that you said Yoko spoke uh, uh, womanings and also used. Yeah, but that wasn't that wasn't. She didn't give a reason. I'm going to be talking to her Wednesday. I could ask her for her reason. If you're, yeah, when I talked to her this past um, Thursday, she said, I told her we were doing Joko's new book. Yeah. And? and she, didn't, she didn't say anything. She said, oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when I ask her something and then she gives an answer, then I make up the reason. Uh, I mean, we, we all do that with everyone, right? Right. Well, and it, well, it well, might be... Oh, sorry, go ahead. What, go on. No, no, go ahead. What you were about to say might be what? Oh, me? Oh, I don't know. If somebody, I just interrupted Kim. I apologize. I just wonder what the other book is that Peg recommended. Not, that's not Oh, it's, it's, it's one that maybe you, when you were doing the practice discussion that you were reading, like what's, that that Vipassana book, yeah. That Anga caught not caught Anga, Anga, Anga right. Kini. That's the book that she she thought we should read because um, I thought because it really has to do with our practice. Not that Joko Beck doesn't, but she keeps bringing okay. us back to more, you know improving our meditation that's what i take it as okay i'll ask her what her thinking is we have we still have a few weeks right are there 48 altogether yeah we have two more okay two more yeah donna couldn't join us tonight she had some guests she said Maybe she didn't I was want to. Wondering, I was just thinking, I think my line of thinking was that if we did Joko's book, that might attract more people. And that was one of my reasons, too, for doing it. Yeah. Well, that's nice to know. That's another uh, that that I had no problem with us doing it. Yeah. And then there's a new Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi book that I sent you. Right. Yeah, I'd like to do that one too. For that uh, one, we will have more time to talk and meditate because each one is very short. It's a koan and there's no explanation. Like, I mean, like no comment or anything for us to read like this one. In the Suzuki Roshi book? or Yes, yes. The, the newest one, the one that just came out? The one that you sent email? Yeah. I, look up and it's uh, oh. like each each conversation is very short it's like one and uh, one question one answer and done yeah so, in our in our council meeting we're, we're reading not always so and oh, I, i'm reading oh, that. that's good. and um they're very short so we do one chapter a, a week yeah i'm reading that at night peg i mean kim i i like that quite a bit I do too. Yeah. So um, none of those books are very long like this one. So whatever we read, we, you know, it won't be the rest of our lives. Okay. Well, I hope. So after, 
you talk to Peg and get her reasoning, do you want to send an email out to everyone who has attended on a regular basis? Anyway? Well, we still we still have two weeks. So we can still talk about it a little. I'll tell you next week. Okay. And um, thank you all. Yeah, thank you. This was great. So I'm glad you came, Anne. Yeah, thank it was you. nice to see you, Anne. Thank you. It was nice to... to yeah. um, dip in here i think the yeah. last time we joined in it was like on case 12. Oh. <laughs> we've got a little catching up to do it's i i think he's a wonderful uh writer and he is uh, and yeah teacher and and um yeah you know just the idea that that the two things i got from it was one that you have to climb up this pole before you can jump off and two that that's not the end of things when you, when you right. jump off. Right. That's the beginning. Yeah. Or or the middle or whatever. Yep. So that kind of brings you back or brings me back to earth or brings me back to kind of checking that, uh, you know, you think you've accomplished something sometimes and then you realize either by seeing someone who's accomplished so much more or 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 whatever, you, you just realize, oh, you know, there's something else to do. Like, Nancy, you'll get your PhD and then you'll have another challenge. That's right. Yeah, I have like the starting of something. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly you remind me of... Um... Uh, I think it was um, what a lesson in um, in like what uh, the Chinese war that they uh, taught uh, the soldiers that don't celebrate immediately after you accomplish uh, a war. It's like if you win um, a combat, stay alert because your enemies will come after you. Since mm -hmm. like people like to have party after their achievement. But that is like the bad thing to do because <laughs> they will take back your your winning by attacking you during your party. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Don't do the party. Yeah, don't do the party. Skip <laughs> the party. Okay. Okay, guys. I'll see you next week. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.